Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. I'm Gemma Cray and earlier in the week I had the chance to sit down with Mannix Flynn in the Westbury in Dublin. He's a politician, a Dublin city councillor and a writer. His documentary Land Without God is presently screening at venues all around the country. Everybody's connected. Yeah, everyone is. Yeah, that's the interesting thing way. about it. Yeah. When, when when you look at the sums, when you look at the trajectory, when you look at the longevity of it, when you look at the fact that it take, took place over t- over mil- tens of yeah. you know, years, you know, millenniums that took place over decades, it was embedded right across. When you look at the middle class women who were abused and who can't open their mouth, and their children were forced off them and given up and sold. When you look at this whole idea of adoption, then you realise actually these weren't orphans, these were people that were actually taken off of people. Yeah, when, you look, when you look at the global yeah. business, you realise then that actually this is actually much more than an institution. Because of shame, because of fear, uh, because of the fear of being judged, the malignant shame, all these people don't want to go there because they don't want to be associated with people who are basically, you know what I mean, haven't yeah. fared well out of it. Yeah. People who have basically, you know, uh, ended up, you know, I mean, in severe places like mental homes and institutions. So, you know, the terrible fear was poverty. And remember, poverty is not just about, you know, finances. It's about a whole business of not being able to look after it and ended up in a poor house. We're Most of the people in the poor house. To that session as well, the way things are, like it's very cyclical, and people are becoming poorer now. People are becoming poorer. People are becoming like you know, in society now, they're becoming you know, very you know. Uh, disempowered, they're becoming very disadvantaged. And again, we addressed those in the film, we addressed the issues of class. I was the child in the children's court, found guilty, condemned, taken away at six in handcuffs. Anybody that I've known to come out of them places are all in prison or dead, or back on the way back to prison. You're, you have a very kind of interesting background. How did you become attached to a documentary? Well, how did that get on the cards for you? Well, I've been involved in the arts for probably over 50 odd years, you know, and as a child, I would have been pretty artistic in the sense that I was around the city and I would have been enjoying its beauty and its architecture. So this is my haunting ground. This particular hotel was Clarendon Street School. Uh, girls and boys school, this particular hotel, that's where it was set. So all of this, my area is just up here, Mercer Street. Yeah. So Georgia Street, Grafton Street was all areas that I particularly played in there. You had, in this particular area, bohemian amount of people. You had doctors, nurses, you had all of the African doctors in the Royal College of Surgeons. You had the Bailey, you had all of those pubs with the Brendan Beans of this world and jumping around the place. And you had a very different sensibility in the city centre, you know. And you were much, you were much more part of that. St. Stephen's Green, all of those things. So you got a stronger sense, and I got a great sense of art as a child because I mixed from school and went into the libraries, went into the uh, uh, galleries, went into the National Gallery, into Hugh Lane Gallery, into Dublin Castle. All of those places were wonders, places where there was massive adventure. So that gave me a sense of, you know, of culture, of creativity. And um, and I carried that through my life. Uh, at twenty, I became an artist, an actor, performer, uh, a writer, playwright, uh, yeah. play um, and you know, uh, uh, and did all of that kind of work in a visual artist. So you know, documentary and filmmaking was always something that I was very interested in doing. It was something that I wanted to do. I planned this particular workout over a twenty-year period. We spent ten years researching and filming the whole process of what you see now. That took ten years. 
um, and the idea of actually representing uh, presenting the people as opposed to representing them and giving them their voice giving them the witness statement was something that wasn't there in documentary except in show in the Holocaust uh, tapes uh, where you had witness testimony of those who suffered which were very powerful which a lot of work is based on by the way including Schindler's List um, but you know this was uh, something that needed to be done we had the Running reports, the Murphy reports, we had testimony with people on the Joe Duffy show, with people on the Late Late Show. But in a certain sense, it was kind of, I'm not saying it was artificial, but it was true medium. And we yeah. were seeing it in a very different way. Here you have the continuity of three generations of one family who spent almost 120 years in institutions. And for the first time in their lives, they're reflecting on this, they're reflecting on each other's stories, and their stories are unknown to each other. The only time that family became aware of each other's story was when they saw the film together. Whoa. And that was a profound moment. And the only time the class yeah. will understand the connectivity is when they come and see the film. And even in the IFI today and the Lighthouse, when people come in to look at the film, that's one of the things they cite, the connectivity, the class issues, all of those underlining things that they never really thought of. So documentary is the art form, yeah. uh, documentary is the science, uh, and the medium is the truth. Okay, so you did your research first. There's obviously you you gathered the all the, the interviewees, some powerful stories there. Was it hard to get everybody to chat? Because it's it's extraordinarily difficult to get people to chat. I mean, it's very difficult to even get people to chat in therapy. Never mind, yeah. you know, in a room, you know, where you're filming them. So it was very difficult. It was very difficult for me. It was very difficult for them. And. The film shows that. Nobody wants to talk about abuse. You know, it's very difficult to prove abuse, very difficult to understand. You can understand, you know, people who have been abused going on to a stand and it be having to relive it. But you know, I'm their brother. I'm, you know, trusted. I'm, you know, but equally you're going into territory you, you don't know uh, what's gonna happen. So it took us ten years. Some people, you know, we had to wait for two more years for them to come back to really think about what they actually wanted to say and you know, and how they were gonna say it and for the first time, even in the film themselves, people say, I never thought about it that way. I never looked at it. I never I never questioned that the same people that I met in my childhood and in the area were all in the same place. We thought everybody was like this. We actually fact, everybody wasn't. So there is this kind of invisible wall. There is this classism in Ireland. There is this business, like, you know what I mean, of, you know, where the poor are, you know, commodified into a revenue for charitable organizations so to speak, and that the middle classes and the particular middle class women and families who are abused don't see themselves as part of this story. It's really interesting, yeah. you know, very interesting because an awful lot of, you know, uh, women in the 60s who were raped or abused or, you know, found themselves uh, pregnant yeah. went into these mother and baby homes or went into nursing homes and their children were taken out. I meet them. I meet, yeah. women, in, I meet women in their 90s. So it, it took a while and it took a long time for people to and particularly for the individuals in my family, to begin to really understand what had happened, what they were committing themselves to. And, you know, we were just blessed that we had the commitment of Lotta Patronella, the filmmaker, Mae McMahon, the filmmaker, and the three was committed, no matter what, to the 10-year journey. You know, and, and the difficulty of funding, the difficulty of location, the difficulty of editing. We had thousands of hours of footage. We, we, we had, each interview was up to three hours long, you know, so it was, it was, it was a difficult, you know, tiresome, angst, you know, a process, not just for us, but for also the people we were speaking to. 
and we had to take deep breaths. And it must, you must have been very, um, it must have been good to give them a voice as well, finally, because I do think like in society, a lot of people are just not heard and their voices do not matter to the, the powers that be or specific types of people. So like, I mean, the thing about this is if you watch, watch this film, you're confronted by it. There's nowhere to hide. Like these are these people's true stories and it's, it's there. It's like, we always see things on paper and we go, isn't that terrible? And when you're confronted in it in a specific way, it's harder to, to kind of quash it. Well, well, again, you know, this was the whole, you know, structure of it, you know. I mean, the first thing, you know, you speak about people not hearing the voice. Sometimes the person who's speaking doesn't hear the voice. Yeah. Our, our approach to it was that the people that we were addressing and asking the question, they would first hear their own voice. That's why it took that length of time. So in some ways, it was a directorial therapeutic approach. You know, that you had people who were witnesses. They weren't on a witness stand, but they were given witness. You had to take a lot of time with that so that they could understand exactly what it was they were saying and also own it and then be able to actually then stand on that platform. It didn't really kind of matter who'd heard it or who was going to hear it as long as they were able to hear it. And once they were able to hear it, they were able to say, we'll stand by that. That's ours. And then that gave it that extra energy. You know what I mean? That that honesty. Because the court will always say, the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, but not the honest truth because we don't have the time. Do you know what I mean? You know, we can't have emotionalism in court. We have need, we need direct testimony because that's the law is, is, is the definitive. For us, it took that length of time for, you know, the people who are going back into that place, looking at what was they had gone through, looking at the way they were now and how they viewed it now and the revelation of all of that and being able to actually stand in that truth and match that truth up. And I think that that was really important. And when the participants heard their own voice in the final film, they were really, really able to say, yes, we'll stand by that. We would draw none of that situation, you know. So that's the way it was. They were given something that was really, really powerful uh, and that matched up. And as I say, you ask most people in Ireland how they are feeling and they tell you how they're thinking. We operate from the head because we do a lot of avoiding. In the cinema now, we actually engage with people's feelings. And, you know, I've been around a couple of the cinemas and the response from people is really interesting because I'm not looking for whether they like it or dislike it. I just want to know that they feel it. What are you feeling here? And that's what's really, really important. And most people aren't coming out angry, screaming their heads off to pull down churches. They're just kind of like, you know, you know, informed, you know, they've had an experience that is different to any other experience that they actually ever had. So for me, you know, again, that property of hearing the voice, of giving a voice, you know, is first of all, you know, to give it to the people who own it, uh, whose property it is, and then to share that to us. And what was the process like for yourself making it? So 10 years is pretty grueling and it could be quite a filmmaking even on a neutral subject can be pretty emotionally draining at times. Something like this, was it therapeutic? Was it stressful? Was it torturous? I think all of those things, you know what I mean, you know, well, they, they, you think they have a bearing on something. They really, you know, they don't. You go through all of these particular processes. I didn't go through it and make it because I wanted to do therapy. You know, I want to do yeah. therapy, I'll go to a therapist and that's their job and they'll do that. 
I don't believe that the arts, you can write your way out of trouble or perform your way out of trouble. I think you always end up with that situation. I believe that if you have an addiction, it's not just about putting down the drug. It's about actually dealing with what it is that where it was and, and also dealing with the fallout. So the wire, you know what I mean? It was a tough, long journey to fund it, to, 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 to commit to it, to get people to, you know, lot of, was working on other works uh, in Finland. Maeve McMahon was working on other works in Ireland. I was doing politics. So, so you had to find the time to be able to meet the people. You know, you had to find the time to be able to meet the people at, the, at where they were at. You know, whether they had, you know, a good day or a bad day. You know, whether they wanted to speak, whether they didn't want to speak. This was a huge, huge process. Uh, it didn't come about through a quick fix, one month documentary shoot. Uh, and you deliver it to RTE or within one year or six months. It wasn't that. And we managed to get uh, $100,000 off the film board. That went in a very short space of time on research. We had to get our own equipment in. We filmed, we recorded, we did it all ourselves. And to have it to that amount of time as well and to even work through all that footage. Yeah, we, we, you know, as I say, it took an awful long time and there were some tapes that you just simply couldn't use because because of the emotion and intensity of it, you know, and because of, you know, I mean, it didn't, you know, fit with the sensibility that we were looking for and slowly but surely that truth began to emerge so the 10 years yeah they were they were they were tough and then to you know get the composition to realize that we weren't going to use this we weren't going to use that we weren't going to use irish music we were going to approach this process in a very different way say from states of fear which was a tv news documentary series or even like you know philomena or Mia Culpa, or the Liberals from Evil, or Spotlight. All of those things were all about revelation. Yeah. They were all about, like, you know, sensation. They were all about headlines. They were all about breaking stories. It's like this term that they keep using, breaking story. Oh, I broke that. And it's just like, you know, it's egomania. This wasn't about career. This was about putting something into our history, yeah. into our social history, into our memory, into our actual lives, into our social fabric that was real as sure as anything existed. So we were airbrushing stuff out of our, 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 our history here. We're airbrushing 1916, we're airbrushing so many things out. This was about actually putting it in and knowing what the state had done with their inquiries, with their this, that, and the other. It was in, washing yeah. everything and how systematic it was. Yeah. I think that's the thing as well where, you know, you hear of a story in a different realm and you go, okay, that's compartmentalized and that was terrible for that person at that time to actually go through and see systematically that people were being kind of filtered into these systems from, the, from like as soon as but they the state, walk. the state and the yeah. church and the state indemnified the church don't forget that you know yeah. the, you know they, they went out like knowing full well what had happened because they had the history books they had the records and pretended that the Ryan report was a terrible revelation and a, a terrible inquiry that had uncovered the dark past when they actually knew about all of this this was all a, a fakery mock shock you know, oh my God, I didn't know what happened. But in actual fact, you did know what happened. So the society that we're in is beginning the process of owning this and asking questions. And a young generation of 20-year-olds or 16-year-olds, you know, of even 30-year-olds are now coming to this and going, I didn't know anything about this. Yeah. You know, so we're talking about Extinction Rebellion. We're talking about, like, you know what I mean, you know, Green Party politics. We're talking about, you know, housing the homeless. But it's all class-driven. But it's all class, it's all class. It's like someone wrote an article recently about Extinction Rebellion saying, where are the diversity? Where's the black folk? Yeah. Where's the brown folk? Where's the people with disability? 
which just seems to be. So this is about our society. Land without God is about Irish society. It's our Holocaust in loads of ways. It's our defining moment, you know, that when we actually had an opportunity to emancipate and assist the poor, who we'd made poor, we mangled them. We mangled our children and we made it almost impossible emotionally for them to be able to get beyond, you know what I mean, the conditions that they're living in, in estates. So the Labour Party, the people before profit, the left, the hard left, the trade unions, simply exploit us as commodity, as poor, and sell us on the Late Late Show, on the Joe Duffy Show, on the Pat Kenny Show, on, you know, the religious shows, in the church, as the poor unfortunates. Yet all of that money that was handed in to the charitable organizations, where's the advancement? What has happened? Where's the situation? Where is even, why, why are we waiting so long for land without God? Why are we waiting so long for land without God? Why did it take such a, a long time? It's not my story. It's not even my family's story. This is what happened in this society to tens of thousands of people. Do you know what I mean? Like literally tens of thousands of people. And we're not, we're not trying, we're not looking for pity. We're not looking for empathy. We're not looking for anything. We tell our story in a dignified way. We're not even looking for heads to roll. This is what happened. You know, and we have to be able to kind of let that be what it is. And the film Lamb Without God is very much about that. And I would like everybody to come and see it because it is, in a, in a way, I mean, it is a work of art. It is a creative process because we're dealing with film, we're dealing with the science of film. And I'm dealing with how you actually can take, you know, the essence and the fragments of very delicate lives and be able to keep that delicacy, keep that integrity, not sell it short and make make this testimony out. And that's it, it really is a testimony. Like it really is, and it's great to have just these things on record completely as well, because again, I just think certain things are not pushed or not heard and not given their proper place, and I think that's it. We don't talk in Ireland. We yap. We don't have a conversation. We go into a pub now, it's big loud music. We don't really get down to the nitty gritty. People are uncomfortable. You know, you want to talk about sexuality to get freeze up. You want to talk about the recent child killings in relation to sexuality and child sexuality, and what happened with the recent murders, you know, what happened? You want to talk about paedophilia, they don't want to talk about that. You want to talk about what way child sexuality, all of that, no, 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 no. Do families talk? No, they don't. They gossip. Do we talk about where did their actual sexual history begin? How do we come about this? We have a church that shamed the living daylights out of women and children, attacked women and children. And prayed. And, and basically prayed on, prayed on them. And still to yeah. this day, thinks it has the right to have, like, you know, ruling over the body. But these, this was tens of thousands. A woman walking down the street with a bit of lipstick, with a shorter skirt, with a pair of high heels, Boom. You had you had situations where in, in, in workplaces women could be abused, they could do there was no comeback. There was there was it was almost unthinkable when we went to Angardashir Corner with our stories. They didn't want to know. They said, No, you're making it all up. Then they apologized. All of this thing has got to come out. If we're gonna build a new Ireland, we're gonna build a better place, not just a fake name that they all run around with what during the election time, a better fair Ireland. That's complete bullshit. A better place comes about when we have that conversation. Not in the kind of people's assembly that's all a setup, but a situation where the state's working for the people. 
not yeah. against the people. And all the political parties are working for the people, not just for their ideologies and their little gains. And that's so, nice. and, they're, and they're, they're nice pensions and they're, yeah, you know, they yeah. get in there, they and, do their time. And, and, that, and that all works. But you look yeah. at the streets, you look at like, you know what I mean, the likes of, you know what I mean, yeah, you know, uh, Merchants Key, looking for millions of euros for a fake treatment centre known as an injection centre, when they won't offer treatment and detox. Like the idea that you would build some place for people to use heroin, but they're actually offering them all the other things is completely crazy. The other thing about it is, is, don't forget, we're talking here about the issues of the legacies, which is not in the past of abuse and the way people have to kind of get on with their lives and suffer. Every time they roll out the Artane band in the Artane uniform from the Artane institution, irrespective that those children are civilian children and they're not, they're never in the institution. It's from the institution. The uniform is from the institution. The name is from the institution. I don't know it's the Artane band or the Artane boys band. We still shake. And we won't go to the games because of that situation. It's the only remaining institutional band in the world that stands there in that uniform. Is it appropriate, for instance, that would be that there'd be no Nazis in the Nazi band? If it was Clongo's Wood College, yeah. and it was the Clongo's Woods College band, and there was a report into the abuses down there, that band would be long gone. You know, if it was St. Louis, you know, girls, and that would be long gone. Yeah. So why do we have to actually face this crap where we were abused? where you have the Me Too campaigns out there, where you have the whole kind of, you know, you know, backlash and the whole proper order expose, but yet you have this. Why has the Me Too campaign not linked up with the issue of clerical sexual abuse or the institutions in Ireland? Because why have Hollywood not got involved here? Why have the musicians not thrown around and said, it's not appropriate in this day and age that you roll out the Artane band, given its legacy. There's no excuse. And Dermot Ferriton, when he wrote his article in the Irish Times, saying this would be a reminder like a monument. We weren't consulted. Yeah. We don't need memorials of Magdalene Andres or some bullshit. No. We want truth. We yeah. want justice. And we want our stories out there. We don't particularly need a three million euro memorial in the Garden of Remembrance. Why not use that money to help truth and pay compensation be, and do that with the victims be, be, when they're not, the traffic church still aren't paying tax. Because remember, all of these things were findings of no facts. They were, you take the money, but nothing has been said. You take the money and you withdraw your claim. So down in Shamrock Dermistry, you have a big compound where the Magdalene Armory was. And our councillors in Dublin City Council refused to let that go, to be turned into housing, to be turned into a community centre and a shopping centre for that area. These clowns jumped on the bandwagon that this should be some sort of memorial. These other clowns who got nearly 400,000 euros from the government staged this spectacle of Dublin Honours Magdalene's. Outrageous when I'm dealing with people who are in the Magdalene Honours, who've no windows in the house, are in fuel poverty. And here you have a grandiose nonsense in, in, in Dublin City Council in the Manchester, perpetrated by a whole bunch of academics and people who were using women and exploiting that for their own ends. It was atrocious. And then telling people who've got apartments or who are living in Dublin that you have to come and spend two nights in uh, a City West hotel to be part of it and then trying to steal their stories in this oral history that they're trying to create in UCD or what, you know, uh, Kathleen's opponents want to create, this fake oral history. You cannot create an oral history around this. You can only create a history of truth. And yeah. a truth is the monument. So Lamb Without God will be the only real strong testimony that will stand as the monument, stand as the memorial of what happened. And I want to make more of that particular kind of stuff, but the more people that see it have got to understand that these are really 
living human beings. I'm 40 years, 50 years at this. All of my work, you know, has been around institutions and how to expose them and how to deal with them. You know, and I would be a well person, I'd be, you know, but it, it breaks my heart to see many people on the streets who I know whose family were in institutions and that dysfunction is passing on generation. Lamb- it's so cyclical. Yeah, it is. Lamb so God yeah. is going to try and, in, try and divert another generation of people growing up dysfunctionally because they weren't told the truth of what happened in their family. A woman came to me one day, she said, I noticed there's a name on one of your pieces on Lisa Street. It was a big piece of work I put on the Cornwall Lisa Street beside the Sugar Club, which was the first kind of Magdalen Asylum. Uh, in, back in the 1800s, on the bottom of where the sugar club was, that was the first of those kind of asylums and institutions. Yeah. And this piece was relates to 180 women whose bodies were dug up out of Hyde Park, uh, and the bodies were interred and then burned over in glass in heaven to make way for the development. And I managed to get my hand on the foil. And this woman, who was from a very respectable, well-to-do, rich family, just for some strange reason was passing by one day and noticed a name and it took her an awful long time to contact me and even the phone conversations would stop and start and stop and start and eventually she identified the name and she wanted to know did I have a file and I said I do have a file it turned out that this was her grandmother her mother never spoke about it she was the victim of her mother's non-speaking because her mother treated her in a very peculiar way because she was carrying this and when she understood this legacy, which she didn't know about, she then understood her mother. Yeah. So it's kind of, we need this. And I've yet to come across a family in Ireland who wouldn't be speaking to me about an uncle, about an aunt, about a distant relation that was in some way connected into this. I know loads of people who thought they were somebody and then when they looked into their backgrounds, realized that that wasn't so. You know what I mean? I mean, in the story of Philomena, you know, your man begins to realize that many Americans over there in America are going to have to reevaluate their Irish identity because this was perpetrated over a long period of time. And it not only was perpetrated in this country, but in Argentina, in Chile, in South America, in Africa, the Catholic Church, the religious congregations stole children and sold them off, trafficked them out of the country. And our state, to date, has done nothing to call these people to account, to bring them before a tribunal to get them to tell the truth. The reason why that is, is because the Irish state and the agents of the Irish state were up to their bollocks in it. They were part and parcel of it. And they know if they admit anything, they'll be completely held at fault. They were involved in a joint venture criminality. They were involved in organized criminality with the Christian brothers, with the Sisters of Mercy, with the Sisters of Charity, you know, right down. You you go in and you take a look at that situation. You we we'd spent the ten years traveling the length and breadth of the world, every single institution that they ever put together. Homes, industrial schools, orphanages, so called orphanages. We talk, we spoke to a huge amount of people. We visited we picked up fragments out of the ground of what was left of some of the institutions, and most of them intact. For instance, Limerick School of Art and Design. None of the people in Limerick School of Art and Design realized the horror of that place that it was a Magdalen laundry, that it was a, uh, an orphanage, that it was an industrial school. They had no clue. And the hierarchy in there closed it out. Not many people out in Dunleary, the school of, this, of film, knew that that was an institution. 
they didn't understand that. The people in Letterfrack, when they tried to turn it into a wood turning course, they the DIT in Waterford. We haven't addressed any of these issues. So don't forget, or even not Letterfrack, where it's the national park and all these kind of tourists that run across and not known, that is an outreach because the abuses took place. We wanted to build a piece of work that was uncomfortable, but readable. That was a, where you could be a participant in this particular thing. We weren't trying to build something that was hysterical. And in the end of the day, we, we were trying to build something that had a responsibility like art does. But we weren't, you know, if we were, if we were, for instance, if we were an American company, if we were a British company, if we were an outside company coming in with this film into Ireland, we would be the talk of the town. We would be on all the airwaves. We would be on the Late Late Show. It would be getting savagely promoted by the film board. It would be up there, left, right and centre. But because it's coming from us, it's kind of not really happening. And although we've made every effort and the Eclipse have made every effort and we've put everything we can into it, and it's going to extend for an extra week. We would like the National Airways. We would like them to actually promote this film. We'd like them to say, there's a great piece of work out there. Come and see. We've got five-star reviews, four-star reviews. And yet, the Ireland of the arts and culture haven't really gone out and said, support this. This is really brilliant. Get this into the class. Get this into the travellers. Get this into the jails. Get the people out of the flats to come and see this. And I find that really odd that, you know, Spot, when, you know, when, when, when Spotlight came in huge promotion because they say the IFI and the Lighthouse are going to extend this by another week yeah. we're now going to go to Galway in the Eye Cinema from the 25th till the 29th uh, Cork opened on Sunday and it's in Cork in the Triscoll for a week okay. uh, so I'll go down and do a Q&A on the 29th Perfect. I'll be doing a Q&A in Galway on the uh, Always the, is the is the 29th. Yeah. Uh, um, Limerick will come up. Um, I think it's November. Uh, Derry is going to be, I think, uh, sometime in November as well. And basically bring it around and allow people to see it. Remember, as I said again, this is not about us as a family. This is about us as a nation. This yeah. is about us as a people. This yeah. is about us as a society. You know, and you cannot, under any circumstances, you know, close the door on a past that you haven't looked at. And you never should close the door on the past. You always have to own that past, you know. And this is not about the past. This is about the now, you know. At the moment, as we speak, there are people out there who are trying to find out who they are. The state won't give them the documentation. Oh, they redact it all. Yeah. They redact it all. Are, there are, the there are people trying to figure out yeah. what happened to them. There are people trying to deal with child sexual abuse who are now in their 90s and they're getting no help whatsoever. None. Remember, there are people who have disability and they're getting no help to deal with the issues that were happening in the institution. People with deafness, people with blindness who were in those institutions and were treated appallingly. There's no even counsellors to actually deal and sign to them or deal with their disability and be able to assist them, you know what I mean, in many, many ways. So we're really not even at the kind of, we're not even at the beginning of the journey. We're only at the, the start and the tip of it. And as I say, the more people that actually see Lamb Without God, the more people will get a profound sense of their identity in this country and the fact that they can make change. I was locked away in institutions run by religious orders of brothers and nuns. No one escaped the harsh punishment for petty offences. 
seven years, six years, five years for not going to school. All around me, the same thing was happening to my brothers and my sisters, and later to my nieces and nephews. Nobody believed us back then, and they still don't. Only we can tell this story. It's just that it's very important to also acknowledge, you know what I mean? And I even hate that word acknowledge, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, because I'm not including anybody. They are included, so it's not my preserve to do that. These were people that I worked with, with Maeve McMahon and Lotta Patronella, two women who work in the arts and in film who are actually profound. Without them, this would not have happened. Their sensibility, their intelligence, their integrity, their, the way they worked with me, the way we worked together was just really profound. And it's really important to acknowledge that, you know, because as I say, they're as much a part of this and own this as anybody else. I mean, I mean, they should be here, they sh and it's my my duty to 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 acknowledge that, you know, what I mean, that you know, there's one man and there's two women. Lotta Patronella is a profound filmmaker, great DOB, you know, a profound artist. Mary McMahon, you know, her research, her meticulous recording, uh, the low. In, 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 in Finland who created the music who made the compositions were just profound these were all with the Finnish connections there you know in Finland the sound studios really professionals it was you were hard pressed to catch anybody with a cappuccino in the hand of a mind a glass of water they just did the job there was no messing around I mean Lotta you know flew in from Finland worked in Connemara we met Maeve the same, you know, it was a, a really combine. All of the editing, all of the sound mixes, that was all done by Maeve uh, and lots of patronal. Those people worked tirelessly and they believed, not just in the film, but they believed in the human beings that were in it. And all of a sudden, it became about, you know, human rights, human suffering, human voices pushed through and made visible and made present by Maeve McMahon, Lotta Patronella and myself and I think that they are just phenomenal uh, people to work with.